right, today we have Coach Bryce Tesdall, Minnetonka High School with us today. Bryce, how are you doing? Good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Welcome to the uh, Girl Dad Crew. I think it was a few months ago, right? You uh, had a baby girl and you're, you're joining the squad. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's been a crazy experience and uh, especially with uh, being able to stay at home now and teach a little bit from home, but also be a dad at home on a daily basis and watch your, watch your daughter grow up. It's, uh, it's a pretty special deal. Yeah, that's been the, uh, the nice part of the, the distance learning stuff. I know on my end, being able to be home with our two kids uh, throughout the day, which you get a little bit of a handful of times too, and you got to have that Zoom meeting with your kids and ever, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a nice treat. So let's talk background a little bit. Uh, you know, high school coaches don't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, uh, most of them at least don't. So give us a little background about where have you been, where you've coached, where you played, all those sorts of things. Yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't take up the 40 minutes because there's been a lot of changes. <laughs> Uh, no, started, uh, you know, started in a, uh, you know, obviously in the Brainerd Lakes area close to you and, uh, Crosby Ironton was, uh, fortunate to, uh, grow up playing for my dad. And I think that was the best thing for me, even though I didn't like it on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, he taught me a lot of things discipline wise. And obviously I had the opportunity to go to mom and dad's practices. Mom growing up was the head high school coach for the girls team. And dad was a longtime assistant still is at Crosby, but, uh, Ultimately, it came down to Dave Galovich and making the impact he did at the youth and high school level and still does, um, you know, close to 40 years in the profession. He's done a uh, heck of a job of building a winner at Crosby Ironton and, you know, getting kids interested from a young age. And obviously, it's a lot easier at a smaller school, but you still have to, um, you know, put the put the youth program at the forefront with your high school program. And he's, you know, he's he's done a great job of implementing um, things they do at the high school level at the youth level and that's a big thing I've, I've taken away from just being in his program is just you know what he does with the youth programs even at a small school you can replicate that in some sense at bigger schools and that's what I'm trying to uh, do at every place I've been so far but um, Hall of Fame coach he's a he's a, he's a guy that no matter if the the team that they play on Tuesday or Fridays one in 26 he's going to go scout them for the whole game and that's one thing that, um, you know, I got to learn and travel with the team um, at a young age, whether if it was uh, for away games or go on a, a scouting trip with my dad and Coach Galovich. And it was, you know, a lot of things that um, you don't think about as a player. Um, I got to witness firsthand um, being kind of as a passenger seat to those two on a daily basis and just the work ethic and discipline. And whether if it's a weekend and they're watching film and breaking things down and it was pretty cool because a lot of small towns, they don't, they don't get that from, uh, from their high school coach. And I had a dedicated coach that wanted to win, but also wanted to develop relationships with, uh, with the youth in high school. So I thought that was a pretty neat experience growing up. And obviously it helps when you win and he's won a lot of games and Crosby's been to multiple state tournaments and played in a lot of big session games. Not only did I get to view those as a, a fan, but I also got to play in those and just a, a really all around great experience that really led into my uh, college career at Bemidji State. And uh, obviously when you, when you go from being a really good high school player and you go into college, you think things are just going to turn over real quick and I'm going to be the man and I'm going to go back to averaging a triple double. And all of a sudden you just take a step back and realize how, how good the NSIC is and the caliber of athletes. And we were just talking about that off, off the mic a little bit of how good division three, division two basketball is in the state of Minnesota with Minnesota kids. 
Um, and it's, it's only gotten better since when I played 10 years ago, which seems like 30 now, but, uh, had the opportunity to be recruited by Jeremy tears and coach Bowen up there and really just gave me an opportunity. I had multiple opportunities at the division three and division two level and, uh, had a couple preferred walk on spots at the division one level, but I wanted to play and they provided me, I think, uh, you know, we went 32 and one and lost in the state championship game my senior year. And. I was looking at a team that won five games um, going into Bemidji State, and, and I wanted a challenge. I wanted also an opportunity to play right away, and they provided me that, and I, I started every game but two in my college career. Um, thank the Lord I was healthy during those four years and uh, being able to play, but um, I, I grew a lot, and you see – you know, the thing that bugs me and, you know, I was part of that process is just the transferring, you know, um, whether if it's high school, college, NBA teams. I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's prevalent with even our youth teams. I mean, the people come and go as they please. And, um, you know, I had that feeling my first year of college. Should I, you know, just transfer and look for a better situation and go to Stevens Point where they just won a national title and I could have been a part of that team? Or should I stick it out and try to see it through? And that's what I decided to do. And Obviously, I had good mentoring along the way with uh, with my family tree and background, but um, stuck it out, and we went from six wins my freshman year to 22 wins um, and a best best team ever in Bemidji State history. And to see that through was really, really cool on my end as a player and obviously led to the transition to uh, Minnesota Duluth as a, as a graduate assistant and uh, learned a lot from whether if it was coaching or academic monitoring or getting kids out of bed to go out of class and um, traveling the, the same road trips on that same bus, not as a player anymore, but as a coach. And uh, just learned a lot from Coach Bowen and, and just seeing him on a, on a different platform on a daily basis in the office and within coaching meetings. I, I really learned a lot from him and over the seven years that I was with him as a player and coach. And, uh, you know, when I was at the college level, I had multiple opportunities. I had an opportunity to stay as a top assistant at the Minnesota Duluth and turned that down. I had multiple opportunities to go to other colleges and be a college coach and continue that career. But something was really missing in my life is just being a head coach. I always wanted to be one. My family members are um, at the high school level and college level. And the easiest way and probably the quickest way to do that was high school. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to uh, have New Prague High School um, take a shot at me at, at the ripe age of 24. And it, it was funny. I'll never forget. Uh, we started one and three and we were going over to Shakopee. And, uh, you know, our guys were hyped up and they beat them in the summer. And I was just telling them, hey, man, summer basketball, it really doesn't matter. We go over there and we lose by 40. And we got 40 pieced. And uh, I didn't play one starter the whole second half. And, I, uh, you know, I heard, I heard every, every parent behind me saying, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's too young, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And started one and three. And, you know, you, you kind of take a step back and think about, damn, do I really not know what the hell I'm doing? And it's stuff that, you know, that we're doing in practice, not work. And you start second guessing yourself a little bit, but, you know, I stayed true to what we were doing. We just worked a little bit harder, got, got to know each other a little bit more and we finished the season um, 20 and eight. So, I mean, it was just, we took a big step and upset Chaska, I think was number six at the, in the state at the time at home. And you just kind of fall in love with the process. And I had great kids at New Prague, great kids, great families, won two conference titles there and uh, just an awesome experience, which led to, the opportunity to be at Eastridge and um, obviously that's uh, lasted two years as well, but a great two years, another, another opportunity to really take a, um, take a step within my coaching career of just the athletes that I coached um, and made the state tournament there and did great things. Best team in 
school history and everybody knows how that turned out. And then obviously now here at Minnetonka and first losing season. Now I can't coach. I'm 12 and 15 this year. And <laughs> I just, you know, just lost all the things that I did the past four years that uh, didn't lead to success here. But no, I, I, um, you know, I love it here. Uh, coaching and teaching atmosphere, family loves it here. And uh, we're looking forward to building it, even though it's going to take time. Couple interesting things uh, from your background that I took away. I think that you know, and I I don't mean to throw any shade at anyone specifically, but you had a good point about finding a place where you can play. And just I've had kids get recruited. I've coached against guys that are scholarship level kids. I think so many kids want that label. If they're if they're probably a really good D three player, they want that Division two offer. If they're a good Division two player, they want to say they're a Division one player. And you know, look at a guy like Matt Willard at Buffalo. He put fifty four up on Hopkins, and he probably could have went to a handful of small division one schools and grinded it out, but he's going to St. Cloud State where he can go have a chance to play for four years. And I think in our culture, the social media culture, not trying to seem like that 31 year old going on 70 here. I think a lot of kids try to get a little bit too wrapped up in that label about where they're playing at the next level. Instead of just finding a home like you did, you were there six wins your first year. You guys won, you know, 122 or whatever your senior year at Bemidji State and you were invested in that success and you got to see that grow. Uh, talk about uh, a couple of things that you, you mentioned with Galovich, the youth program stuff. What about with Coach Bowen? I've, you know, down to Valparaiso as an assistant coach. What are some things that you learned from him that you apply to your coaching today? Yeah, you know, just I think developing relationships with uh, with the student athlete, not only on the court and off the court. Um, you know, Coach Galovich did a great job of that. But obviously, in college, you see your coaches a lot more, whether if it's uh, in between classes and you go to the office and watch some film or just chat. You just have a lot more free time and utilize that free time within the day to really connect with his student athletes and. You know, I try to still do that. Um, obviously, as a high school coach, I think it pays big, big dividends when you can be actually in the school on a daily basis. I would never take a job where I couldn't be in the high school on a daily basis. Um, so just finding times to connect with kids, um, not only basketball stuff, but out of season as well, checking in with their other sports. And he, he really just found interest in us um, as a student, as an athlete, and just as a person. So I I, I learned a lot from that um, piece and we had a relationship. We had a relationship as a player coach. And we also had times where it wasn't in season and we could go to the lake and hang out and grill and go jet skiing. And he would, you know, do it up big. And it was, it was fun. Um, but we also knew when it was time to turn on the switch and uh, work hard and not, not, not BS. And um, so I think, you know, uh, from that, I think that really started the foundation of the relationship and just trust and respect that we had for him. Um, but also within him, I learned a lot offensively for him. If you watch Valpo at all um, during their run in the tournament, Missouri Valley tournament, I mean, that's all Bowen's offense, uh, motion style offense, and just how you break that down and how you teach kids to play without the basketball. I mean, I mean, I, I have no worries about what kids can do with the basketball in their hands. They work on that all the time, but can they read a down screen? Can they actually set a back screen with a good angle and screen a body and not screen air and just how you break that down on a, on a daily basis within your practice with small sided games and just being able to teach that takes a lot of work, takes a lot of time. And that's, that's one thing that uh, I've tried to do within our teams and really got it done at Eastridge. Obviously it helps when you have three division one players out there, but just teaching kids how to play without the ball and not run into it. Like it's a third grade soccer game. Like I always say, um, and just space off the ball, sprint off the floor and, I learned a lot from him uh, within the uh, offensive piece that he did, not only with us at Bemidji, but then transitioned into UMD as a coach as well. 
What are some of the big ideas when you're teaching off ball movement? Uh, what are you, what are you, what are you telling your kids? You know, you, you come in Minnetonka, it's day one summer workout. You're obviously doing something motion or small sided related. What are your teaching points? Slow and right is better than fast and wrong. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing. You got a new coach coming in, you got a new offense, you got a new style, um, you got new vocab and all that stuff is great. But a lot of times you just need to slow the hell down. Um, and when you figure out when slow is right and when fast is right, I think you have, uh, I think kids start to get it, but you, you know, you go the, through those first two weeks of summer workouts and everybody's just trying to go as hard as they can and play as fast as they can, which is great. I love the effort, love the energy and love the enthusiasm, but I always tell kids slow and right is better than fast and wrong. And it's just taking baby steps within that process. And, um, the biggest thing that I try to teach is just spacing. Um, you know, it's, it's we get too many kids in the paint or, you know, you got two kids standing right next to each other. And when a kid's driving or if a kid runs right into a drive and he brings his defender in there and now there's a secondary guy there being able to take a charge or a double team. And just, you know, that's the biggest thing I try to teach just spacing right away. And also just um, being able to sprint the floor. And I know you guys do a great job of that up there. And I listened last week with Johnny Carrier and hopefully I can live up to his expectation with being the first guest on here. I love me some Johnny, Johnny C. But, uh, <laughs> It's, um, you know, there's so many things that you can focus on, but we just try to, I just try to keep it simple and teach kids how to play the game the right way, in my opinion, and with the ball and without the ball, especially. Where we've gotten into a little bit of trouble, you know, we were on some of that, you know, more, mostly spread high ball screen type stuff. And we're telling our kids more to space than to cut. We, you know, we didn't shoot as well from three this past year. So there were some times when we were maybe four for 16 to start a game from deep. It's like, we got to put some pressure on the rim with a cut. And so what do you teach your kids? Um, cause there's always that gray area. Guys looking to attack off a ball screen or they're attacking a closeout. What, what, what is your teaching point when you're trying to have a kid cut off the ball? If they're not, like you mentioned, bringing their guy right into help or they're cutting into a driving lane. Yeah, we run, we, we try to run a lot of, you know, I, I've kind of fallen in love with after I got done with new Craig, I had two great bigs. I ran a lot of horn stuff. I did a lot of just kind of sets where we put our guys in strength positions and it was, I had the right roster for it. Um, we wanted to play through our bigs, who uh, obviously had a great year at St. John, Zach Hansen and Lucas Walford. Um, I wish I still had those guys on my teams because they're two of the better bigs that I've had um, offensively, um, especially. But um, we try to run a lot of Jay Wright, four out, one in, and offensive spacing, spacing his offense. And, you know, you watch Villanova and maybe not this past year um, because they didn't have as much talent as they've had in the past. But um, being able to know when to basket cut and know when to stand. I mean, it's okay to just stand every once in a while within our offense. And that's, that's the biggest thing I have with our guards is just like, you don't need to move all the time. Like you make a pass and you just want to, or you take five dribbles and you pass and then you just cut right into the ball or you cut somewhere else and just being able to play, um, slower in a sense without the ball and being able to read the defense a little bit. But we try to teach our kids, um, you know, simple cuts of just, know when to basket cut, know when just stand and know when to cut away or screen away. Um, and that's, that probably took us until, you know, January, late January, early February this year, where we had some ball movements, um, new when to push, new when to just um, reverse the ball, new when to get a post touch and play through Cam Steele, who's um, one of the better offensive players I've had um, offensively. But um, you know, a lot of offense is great the first five seconds, and then the next five seconds, somebody's two guys are cutting into each other, some guy is dribbling right into the guy that's supposed to cut. I mean, it's just 
So it, it takes a long time. And that's what scares me about this June and July. If we don't get it uh, throughout the summer is not being able to, I mean, we graduated five kids that played for us and we have a couple that will be back that played varsity minutes, but sophomore to JV is a whole different level. JV to varsity is a whole different level. And if we don't have those two months to teach, um, when there's not game preparation, um, you know, pressure, I mean, it's just, so that's, uh, it hurts the kids. It hurts us as coaches and hurts us in programs. And I know everybody's in the same boat, but man, I just love June and July. And that's where you can get a lot of that stuff taken care of. You know, you're obviously a good Twitter follow. I've talked a lot about, I've tried to steal a lot of the stuff that you've done, um, at, at, at your various stops, but I feel like there are coaches out there who don't utilize the summer window as well as other guys like yourself who's going to be in the gym, you know, a couple hours a day. I know you're not in there putting 10-hour days in with your varsity kids, but you're in there probably, what, 90 minutes, two hours, a couple times a week, get a couple tournaments here or there, if it's breakdown, if it's go for team camp, whatever the case may be. But it's having that time where you can build those relationships with the kids like you talked about, but also get your system in. Because I think that the coaches are who are willing to put the time in, their teams usually have success over the course that, you know, might not be year one, year two, but – uh, it's it's going to kind of hurt those coaches who are willing to put the time in. It's going to equal the playing field a little bit, which it is what it is. But obviously, we like to get in the gym a lot. I know your teams always get in the gym a lot, and you guys spend a lot of time. So it will be unfortunate uh, if, we, if we don't have that summertime. One thing on cutting that we've used, and you, guys, you can write this down if you want, we call it nervous cutting, where kid doesn't know what to do, so they just kind of just cut just because they're nervous, and they, they want to act like they're not standing there. And we, we find that with a lot of – especially in the summer tournaments or early in the season with guys who are, like you said, trying to make that jump from JV to varsity. It's like, well, I'm just going to cut because I don't want to be caught standing or my parents are yelling, move, move from the bleachers. And uh, we, we call it nervous cutting. And I feel like that a lot of kids get on the big stage and like, Oh crap, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to cut. Uh, let's expand off a little bit. Let's talk about your secondary action. You know, don't need to reveal all the secrets. I know Coach Hortman's probably going to, going to listen here and write some scouting reports down. And so, uh, but just kind of what are you looking to do secondary to get into your motion stuff? Yeah, you know, we try to push the ball. And obviously, um, you know, big thing that we try to do, Coach Bowen always wanted it as well and kind of learned it from him. And we want a three right away or we want a layup or a dunk. If we don't get that, you know, we want to be able to reverse the ball for, to make the defense um, change courts and have them talking. Um, but we really try to push the – I don't care if it's right or left side. Um, or if we got a fast break, you know, it's, if it's five on five primary fast break, we want to be able to get a three corner three where we can get a middle drive to a push corner three, or we want to be able to attack and, um, create a two on one or a three on two situation. But, you know, it, for us, you know, we're, we're trying to get a really good look in the first 10 seconds, or we're trying to run offense that next 20 seconds and play through, you know, uh, for this year, um, play through Cam Steele and get him at least one touch, whether if it's, uh, you know, off a down screen or off post touch. And, you know, we, we chart paint touches and post touches. And the biggest thing and I was listening to you guys last year or last week within this um, podcast is just, you know, we don't want to run offense for 35 seconds and everything's great and turn the damn ball over. I mean, that pisses <laughs> coaches off more than anything when you turn it over because you don't get a shot. Um, so we're not, you know, I would love a shot clock and most people would, but, um, you know, I think the game is more clean and fluid that way, but that's not uh that's not my decision, but you know, I want to run if we can't have anything in the first 10 seconds, I want to run something within the first, the next 15, because then we can get a really good look. And if we set a couple of screens, um, I kind of took a step back, especially my last year at Eastridge is just, 
giving players way and I when you first get a job high school job you want to run everything and you want to be in control and you want to be you know coach k out there coaching your guys up and yelling and screaming and telling them to settle down and run a sets and I we, we were good at that at New Prague kids listened and they were well trained they were smart they just they were good and we worked and then I got to Eastridge and I got three division one guys rolling around it's just like no they need to go they need to go they need to figure it out and they need to play fast and they'll play out the biggest thing is just teaching those guys how to play off each other um and sharing the ball and once they got that it looked it looked really damn good it was fun watching and you know at Eastridge you know my especially that last year I mean shoot I, you know, I wouldn't call timeouts or if the other coach called a timeout, we tried to drop a lob alley-oop to Kendall Brown or Ben Carlson or Courtney Brown. I mean, that was the extent of our stuff. So just being able to teach kids how to play in space and playing off the ball is the biggest thing. And that doesn't really happen within that first five to 10. It's going to happen in that next 10 to 15 where, you know, defense gets set. They take away that the, the driving lanes or they take away a passing lane and they're, you know, set on that midline or they're up in the passing lane or they're in the gap and you can't do much. So, we try to really work on at least uh, one to two reversals and then really get into some, you know, motion stuff where we, we create a, uh, a bad closeout and we can get a drive to a kick and maybe to another kick. But threes and layups within that first tech, 10 seconds is what we're looking for. And if you don't get that, we're trying to score in that next 10 to 15. You got, you got of hit on the, uh, you, you can fall victim of fast draw, right? There's so much stuff on fast draw. There's so much stuff on Twitter. You can, you can find 10,000 plays that would probably work with your team if you put them in. But at the end of the yeah. day, it's about figuring out what two or three things we want to go do, but letting kids play. Uh, let's go a little bit and all backwards too with your, now we're in transition. So do you have set roles, lanes, or do you kind of just get in and go? We get in and go, you know, I want our four or five, who's ever the first guy down the floor to rim run. Um, just because I think it's important to, you know, have somebody guard the rim on the defensive end. But, you know, one, two, or three, our guards are really interchangeable, in my opinion. Um, obviously, I don't want my six, eight kid bringing it up if he's not a good ball handler in a lot of situations. But we try to get a four or five sprint into the rim, and then we try to get, you know, one, two, or three who doesn't have the ball, two of them that don't have the ball to get to those corners and really space, and that guy try to push and create a driving kick situation. And obviously, um, you know, we kind of specified based on personnel every year of what you, what they can and can't do and try to play to their strengths and stay away from their weaknesses. But um, again, that's just teaching kids how to play and developing fundamentals and developing their all around games. Cause you know, as college coaches will tell you, they need their fours and fives to step out and shoot. And they need a lot of these twos and threes to get into the post and post up if there's a mismatch. So developing their all around game is the one thing that we try to do and really try to teach and really invert, you know, it's one thing Bowen always did. And, that was what I did as a player is, you know, I was a 6'3", 210, probably 10 pounds overweight guard at the college level. And, you know, I, I didn't have the opportunity to, you know, I was guarding a lot of threes and fours. That's just my body type. But, you know, a lot of 5'10 uh, point guards are trying to guard me on the other end where you can invert it, set a set a back screen for me and I get in the post and, you know, be able to play off that way. So, I mean, it's just it all depends on who you are and what your style is and your philosophy is and what team you have. But I think there's a lot of great things and shoot, if you go th scroll through your Twitter page, you can find 85 sets in about three minutes. Yeah. It can really be suffocating. Uh, so you mentioned that new Prague, you ran a lot of horn stuff. Eastridge, you had the, the three scholarship division one kids. And I really liked your shooters you had around those guys. And we got to see you a couple of times at the state tournament. Uh, I know you played after us in the third place game. And then we saw your semifinal game too. Really liked the shooters you had around those three as well. Those guys did a lot of nice things for you. But what is your, what are you looking for sets wise versus 
just running motion stuff? I mean, is it three sets? Do you have your five go-tos? Yeah. What, in a perfect world, what are you looking to do? Yeah, the max that I usually try to have is 10 throughout the year. Um, you know, we start with two or three, and then we try to build up to 12 at the max. Like at this, you know, uh, the final game this year, we had probably three or four sets just for Cam Steele to get him the ball. Um, when we, you know, if it was 15, 20 seconds in a possession and we haven't gotten anything, or if we playing um, Dawson Garcia and we really wanted to back screen him, um, which obviously didn't work. But um, uh, it's just we try to have 10 to 12 things that we can go to um, at the end of the year. But we, we piece them in instrument. It's not like I put 12 plays in in November and we're going to run those. You know, just try to add a couple. And if you see something that um, I see something within a scout or a team that we're playing, maybe we add one play um on a on a given practice day that we're going to use but i try to put our two to three if we're going to call a set i want two to three best players to touch it um that's how i've always been and you know when i was at eastridge we had you know we had sets for that we could get kendall a touch or courtney a touch or ben a touch if we had um you know patrick why not who was uh one of the better three-pointer shooters i've ever coached at eastridge we always had a play for him at the beginning of the second half so just always try to have a play for certain situations, but also um, actual players because they can score the ball. So you've been at three high school programs. Uh, you've been able to take them over and have pretty much instant success. You mentioned 20 wins with New Prague. Obviously did big things at Eastridge. And then this past year, uh, maybe the wins and loss didn't, didn't necessarily show the success you guys had at Minnetonka, but in, improved conference and improved section record from the year prior that you took over. Uh, but talk about what you're looking to do those first 30 days that you take over a program. Yeah, the biggest thing um, is just developing relationships with kids and families and the youth program. And, um, you know, as you talked about last week, it's developing those relationships, um, but also having a, a straight line where um, kids know not to cross and parents not to know not to cross. And I try to set out expectations right away and develop consistent communication and expectation, not only with our student athletes, but our families. And obviously I've had the opportunity, um, a supportive administration is big, big too. Um, you know, if you don't have that at your high school and they don't get sports or value sports, it can be a nightmare. And I know people at the high school level and college level are in that situation. And it just, it's a, it's not fun to go to work. And um, it's, it's just an opportunity within those first 30 days to, you want to implement some offense and defensive stuff, but getting to know your kids and getting to know that obviously that you're here to win, but also develop kids in the, in the classroom community competition. We talk about that all the time within our program, but um, you know, I think it's one of the hardest things in high school basketball is your staff. I mean, it's not like we're paying them $240,000 and they get a cell phone and they get a vehicle and we're taking care of food on a daily basis. It's not like they're coaching in the big 10, but can you find and looks like outside looking in you got great assistance but um are your assistants bought in and want to do the same thing as you are they trying to you know do their own thing and you know whether if it's 9b or 7c or 4a i mean can you get the youth youth people and high school people on the all on the same page and i think that's a that's a big big deal I've been really impressed with the cultural stuff that you've had at every stop. So what are some of your core values or what are the, some of the expectate the basic expectations that you have of your student athletes? Yeah, we want to win the classroom. We want to win the community. We want to win in competition. 
that probably goes in order. You know, if you can't win in the classroom, if you can't do the right thing in the community and serve and be a, uh, be a great student athlete within your own home and within the community that you live in, you know, we want to have community supports. And I know that's shooting at Eastridge, unless we were playing Creighton Durham Hall or if it was the breakdown tip off. I mean, we struggled to get, you know, four or 500 people in the stands my first year. And it's just like, man, who wouldn't want to come watch Kendall, Courtney, Ben, like it's just crazy. Your students have so many things going on, but you know, shoot, even at Brainerd Crosby, it was a thing. If there was a game, everybody was in the damn stands. I mean, shoot, when we played Pequot, you had to get there at three o'clock to get in the game. Um, I remember, um, you know, playing the section final over at Brainerd my junior year and the place was just, you know, people were skipping school to get over and get in line. And it's just, you know, trying to build um, that culture, not only with your with your athletes, but your students, your families, your youth program, it takes a lot of time. Um, and that's where I think maybe some coaches get burnt out because they don't have that plan of, you know, they have the plan for the high school program, but what's your plan for the community? What's your plan for kids and academics? What's your plan for, um, you know, engaging students within your program that go to school there? So it, it takes a lot of work. And obviously, um, you don't, you get four or five months a year to actually be in the spotlight within 26 games that you have. But I think we're always working. We're always preparing, at least the, the coaches that are trying to prepare and improve their programs are. Um, but I think, you know, having a plan and, um, our plan is to really win in those three areas. And when we, when we're on the court or when you're in the classroom, when you're in the community, have all, uh, energy effort. And enthusiasm you got to enjoy the process we talk about the process a lot and uh you know one thing that i think separates our program um that we try to do is you know we don't skip the weight room that's that's as, as important as you know basketball stuff we, we we do grade checks we do um we try to serve in the community as much as we can so we don't we don't really try to skip the process we uh really don't worry about the result that much, but we know that, um, you know, if kids fall in love with the process, usually it loves you back. So we talk about that a lot and some of it can be smoke and mirrors, but, um, you know, the biggest thing is, is just working hard. I mean, that's, that was the only way that I got to be a halfway decent student athlete is, you know, I wasn't a 4.0 kid. I wasn't, uh, wasn't the athlete that had God given ability where I could jump over people or shoot 60% from three. I just had to work. Um, so I try to bring that mentality to our program. Talk about the weight room. Uh, talk about your, your guy, uh, coach moon followed was at Eastridge followed you to Minnetonka T talking about his role in your program and how valuable he is. Oh man. He's, he's my right hand man. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, shoot when I was at Bemidji state, a lot of, some of the stuff was made up by coach Bowen and his assistants until we got a, uh, actual weight trainer and, you know, basketball coaches should be basketball coaches. And it's so, you know, I know the weight room, I weight room, uh, I lift every day, but I also don't know how to teach form technique and be, be safe. Um, so I knew, uh, when coach moon, um, had the background that he did and approached me at Eastridge and we came in the, the, the same time at Eastridge our first year, um, so it was kind of a uh, match made in heaven, man. I, I got lucky. He's a, he's a great guy that has not only has weight room background knowledge and does a great job in there, but uh, connects with the kids on a different, different level than I do. He gets to know them different. And I think that's great um, just because he'll get, get information that I won't get and he can relay it on and he can have different conversations. Um, but he's a beast in the weight room, man. He, we're so lucky to have him. I'm so glad that I got him. Um, over here with Minnetonka with me just because it's uh, not only does a great job with the high school kids but the youth kids in the weight room and builds relationships with parents families and it's it's awesome man it's a big big part of our program and 
you can ask anybody at Eastridge or now at Minnetonka, it, it pays dividends. Having good assistant coaches is just, I mean, that, that saves you as a head coach. I, I'm, I've been lucky enough to have really good assistant coaches. And like you mentioned with Coach Moon, guys who are my friends, guys that we're, we're in a text group right now. We'll text politics. We'll text about a uh, Timberwolves game, a Twins game. Just having those good connections, but also I'm sure your guys aren't afraid to tell you, hey, Bryce, why don't we try this out? Or I didn't agree with that decision. Because you got to have guys who are willing to push you and aren't just going to nod your head because they're scared you're going to rip their face off. Now, you've coached in pretty affluent communities with probably some parents who are probably pretty influential and powerful. So what are some ex- basic expectations you set out for parents? And then, um, you know, how is it coaching with parents who got a lot of say, make a lot of money? And, um, yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to hear that situation because you've seen, been in three pretty affluent communities. So I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah, man. Uh, we, this podcast might have to uh, extend to about <laughs> – You say what you got to say to save your job, too. I'm not trying to throw yeah. anyone under the bus. No, I got some good stories. Um, it's too bad because we get to talk about a lot of them at the Final Four when we go down there, the state tournaments. And uh, but you know, you, you try to you try to have a basic expectation with parents. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my job. Um, I'm gonna do what's best for for what I think basketball decision wise. Now, I always tell I always tell parents all the time: if your kid's got a problem socially, mentally. Um, physically, um, grade wise, you know, I'll, I'll talk with you all day. Um, but if it comes to playing time, if it comes uh, to what we're doing, X and O's, why I don't want to hear it. Um, you know, I'll never forget. Um, I had a, uh, new Prague. I had a, um, a parent situation where, you know, uh, the family member came in and said, Hey, I, I want a, uh, I want a meeting. I'm like, like for what? going to our AD, I'm like, I'm not taking any meetings about basketball stuff. Like it's, if it's dealing with playing time X and O, like, I don't want to hear it. Like I, I don't, I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to coach your kid. Um, and I also have a family at home that I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband. I also have my own life that I'd like to do. And, you know, I, I believe that we do the right thing and try to get the right results. And I think a lot of high school coaches do that for pennies on the dollar when it comes to hours um put in um so i i try to lay out a basic expectation that um you know we're, we're trying to do what's best for your kid um i will have conversations but i i don't really have time for um you know the basketball discussions you know obviously if it's a youth kid you have a little bit more basketball discussions with parents and what they can be working on and you know i always try to keep our parents up to date with the weekly message and try to you know put stuff out on social media, but I mean, it's, I mean, you could have a, every high school coach could have a secretary um, to answer the phone. And obviously when you work in affluent communities, you probably have a lot more problems, but you know, the biggest thing that I get is just the tryout process. I mean, it's just, you know, you know, well, he played AU and he got a Jersey and you know, he's, he's been working out with his personal trainer and it's just like, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're spending the money on it. Um, to me, it's a waste of money, but um you know, it's, it's, that's the biggest thing that I probably get, you know, uh, we don't have the way I run my program. Thankfully we haven't had a lot of in season issues. Um, but it's, it's usually tryout process where I get the most crap and it's just like, you have to deal with it for a week. Um, and it's just, you know, I've recruited kids at the college level. I've watched, you know, I've had great athletes play in my program. I've, I've been around, you know, my family member is made up of coaches. I pretty much grew up in the gym. I, I think my basketball sense is decent. Um, but do you make maybe one or two mistakes throughout your five years of coaching, of cutting a kid and maybe keeping a kid? Maybe. Um, but you just try to do what's best for your program. 
So you're in charge of a giant K-12 program. I'm sure you have hundreds of kids in the youth level in Minnetonka Basketball Association. How do you manage that with the countless stakeholders and the people who, you know, you got board members who are presidents, vice presidents, treasurers who probably have your phone number or have your ear and they have that one-on-one -on -one time or small group time in meetings. How are you going to balance the various stakeholders you have while also trying to grow your youth program? Yeah, it's not easy. You know, you, you kind of have to walk a fine line, but I think developing those relationships and trust with the, with those people that are in charge and have roles and make decisions and wake more, make way more money than I do on a daily basis and um, you know, run companies and do all that. But I think, um, you know, a lot of people, if they are in that position, can see what coaches are doing. And, uh, you know, I try to be as active as I can within our youth program, um, whether if it's attending practices, attending tournaments, providing opportunity. I think that's the best you can do as a high school coach and developing relationships and, uh, you know, obviously walking a fine line within those relationships. But attending meetings and having people know um, in those strength positions that you care. Um, not only care about the high school program, but you care about the youth program. And I think it all, it all starts with developing relationships with those youth kids and the parents get great feedback from their kids. And, you know, whether if it's a camp setting or practice setting or game setting, I think you can do so much as a high school coach. And that's what it's all about. You want to, you want to have relationships with kids because I mean, they're not going to be at Princeton high school or Minnetonka high school forever. But a lot of times if you do the right thing, you get those kids back and they, they still impact your program in a, in a lot of different ways. So, you know, you, you got to walk a fine line. Um, but I, I really try to develop relationships and develop trust and attend meetings and, you know, just have fun with it. And I just understand that, um, you know, everything's not going to go your way or how you want it done uh, within everything going on youth wise or high school wise. But the best thing you can do is just put your best foot forward and try to make it all work. Yeah, I mean, you've clearly done an excellent job. I've seen the kids. I've seen the videos of kids working out. I've seen the, the energy. I, there's a really cool uh, tweet I saw. I think the Skipper basketball caught retweeted it. Someone had a split screen of, a, uh, of the crowd two years ago and then the crowd this year and just how much that has changed. So you obviously know what you're doing on building, building culture, building programs, and you've had a ton of success with it. So from afar and someone like you mentioned earlier, we go back, I know, from our, from our days when you're stealing, the, stealing the, the headlines of the Brainerd Dispatch from your Crosby days and fighting for Jeremy Millsop's attention, you know, you've uh, you played a little AAU together. So it's been really cool to see, um, see your growth and how you've had success everywhere along the way. Last couple things here, I'm looking for advice that you would give to younger coaches. So what are some things that you've learned over your, what, six years, seven years, head coach, couple or whatever, couple years in college that you wish you would have known when you took over at New Prague? Well, I think you just got to, again, like I tell our players as coaches, we just got to slow down. I mean, there's obviously so much information that you can take uh, from coaching clinics or the social media or any website resource fast. I mean, there's just, there's so much that you can gain and that's great. And, uh, you know, I'm a big write it down, pen and paper still person, um, old school stuff that way. Got that from coach and my dad don't know how to use a cell phone or a computer um, back there in Crosby, but um, you know, it's, it's just something where I think you got to slow down. I think you got to get to know your kids first. I think you have to build relationships. I think you have to see what the program, what it is and who you have and really develop, you know, my biggest thing is developing a defensive mindset. Um, you know, defense for me comes first before, uh, um, before offense. And if you look at our scores this year, that's probably, this guy's bullshitting, but um, every every other year it's it's been about that, and it'll just take time um, at Minnetonka to get done because you know when you got Eden Prairie, five Division One uh, scholarship guys, um, Division Two, Division One guys out there, your defense always doesn't look good. 
Um, and we didn't have that problem in the, uh, in the East Ridges conference. So um, I think just developing a mentality of what your team, I, I, I think coach Bowen t- uh, told me this is a lot of times your kids will take upon the character of yourself as a coach. Um, so our practices, you just, you know, you just go through it and you can't wait for game night or do you, you treat it like a game and you have effort, energy, enthusiasm, and you, you want that out of your kids. And that's how you practice. And that's one thing I try to do is, you know, we treat every day like it's a game man. it's a, it's an opportunity. And for this coronavirus, I, I just feel so bad for the spring athletes because you just never know when it's going to be taken away from you. Um, so I treated uh, every practice, man, I can't wait to get a practice plan going and get in the gym and create some energy. And that's one thing that, you know, we always all wish that we could have the jersey on, but that's why, uh, you know, we stay connected and coach. And, uh, you know, for first-year head coaches that are taking over a job is developing relationships first, get to know your kids, families, teach a little bit of offense, teach a little bit of defense, but keep it simple. I mean, <laughs> if I were to go back in New Prague and, uh, you know, shoot, we're first two weeks we're running, we're running different sets in the summer, and I just got the job May 13th, and, you know, shoot, we didn't run half the crap that I put in. So it's just like, you have to slow down. You have to get to know your kids and just build fundamentals. Just make your kids better basketball players um, and don't turn them into robots. And that's, uh, that's one thing that I really learned probably after my first year reflecting what I need to do better as a coach is just teach the kids how to play and have fun with it, enjoy the process and get them in the weight room and do the right thing in the community. But yeah, just, just slow down and do, try to do the right thing and know that everything's not going to be picture perfect. All right, I'll give you I'll give you a couple minutes here to end on defense. All right, what is what are some of your non-negotiables or the things that you expect or your promises that your kids have to have on the court when you're on the uh, defense? First and foremost, you got to communicate. It just drives me nuts when a guy gets pinned on a down screen and you don't uh, you know you don't see it. And we watch, you know, one of your questions on there when you send me was just film, and we watch we try to watch film every day, and a lot of it is defensive film. Uh, you know, it's one thing that uh, you know Dave Thorson. Oh, I watch his teams play a lot and we go over all my teams have gone over to scrimmage De La Salle before the, uh, before the season starts and you go over there and you go to the Island, man, it, it, there's talking, there's stance, they're grabbing you. They know, and it's not a foul. They're just getting into your stuff. And, you know, we try to replicate that um, in a different color Jersey than De La Salle. But th- those are things that, um, you know, communication is the biggest thing. I think you can, you can solve a lot of problems when communicating, but Communication, stance, relaxation, uh, just you can't relax. I mean, basketball is so good in Minnesota right now at all levels. I mean, all sections, all levels. You know, you talk about Willard. I mean, the kid, you couldn't guard him. I mean, he would come off a, you know, first game we did a decent job. On second game, he would come off a down screen or catch it, and he would just shoot an NBA three-pointer, and it's just like, damn, how do you guard that? Some things you can't guard. But you do. Uh, we do try to take away a lot of stuff through film within individual things that teams are trying to do. But, you know, one of my assistants brought up, Hey, are we going to play zone this year? I'm like, nah, I would rather, I'd rather, I, I, I have played zone with my teams, but I, I want to teach man to man principles within my youth high school programs because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of kids play zone and I played zone in my high school career and we were good at it um, just because we probably had better athletes and longer athletes. But um, you know, when I got to college and I had to play man, shoot, I was two steps behind and I didn't, I didn't know how to, you know, always jump to the ball and see the ball and sit on the midline and how to close out. I mean, we did that stuff, but we really didn't talk about it at high school. And so I think just preparing, that's one thing that uh, a lot of college coaches that have my kids, they, they're prepared defensively. 
offensively, you know, kids got to continue to add stuff to their games. But a lot of that they're, they're working on their own and they're going to work that. I mean, kids aren't sitting in a stance right now on uh, I don't, I have not seen a YouTube, TikTok, or anybody closing <laughs> out or sitting in a stance or Pat Freeman, Midwest uh, basketball training or Reed OC. I want to see some slides, man. I want to see some closeouts. Let's see these guys defending in this quarantine, man. But um, you know, that's one thing that we try to really just how to close out. If you're off the ball, what are you doing? Um, in transition defense, what are we doing? Um, we try to always keep the ball to the side on, on one side and not really allow ball reversals. But biggest thing is, it's, and it's hard because kids don't have cell phones out there as just communicating nowadays. I mean, it's just, you know, if you don't communicate, offenses are really good. Coaches are really good and players are really good in Minnesota. And they're going to make you pay for it if you don't communicate and if you're not ready to play. You talked about reading my boy, uh, printing guy, Jared Bergeron's going to reach out. He's going to try to do some in-home stuff with us. I know they're with their catalyst training. They're doing some stuff. I'm definitely have to reach out to Jared after this big. I want to see some closeouts, maybe make a 15 second TikTok for our guys closing out. But, uh, <laughs> Bryce, thanks for coming on, man. Like I said, we go back, back a ways and I'm, it's been really cool to see your success. You've had at various programs and I run into you at Concordia St. Paul at the state tournament. Uh, was really, was really cool experience. And, uh, and keep it up, man. Like, I'm stealing a lot of the stuff that you do. So keep pumping it out on social media so I can put it into my program. Hey, man, appreciate it. And the success you've had up there. And last year, obviously, making it for the first time in a long, long time. Being coach of the year is well-deserved. And, uh, you know, shoot, it's a uh, small town, Brainerd Lakes guys trying to make an impact. And uh, we both had both had great – and that's, you know, I'm glad from, from a small town. I'm one of the bigger high schools now. Um, but I, I'm really glad that we grew up where we grew up because I think there's a lot of things that you don't get sometimes down here growing up um, that we did up there. So congrats, man. I'm looking forward Thank to you. it. I appreciate you having me on this podcast. It's great. And uh, these are things that people need in this time. So, All right, man. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.